Brock Bowers has the power. USC survives Colorado, but what does this mean for their college football playoff chances? And my goodness, did we ever get one heck of a game out of Texas ahead of OU Texas? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Georgia surviving Auburn, USC surviving Colorado, Michigan looking a lot like the team that was last year, and what does Texas show us ahead of the Red River shootout? Now, A, this is a new look for those of you that are seeing it on the Fox Sports app, on YouTube, on the Twitters, as I am in L.A. because I was here earlier today as we got set for number eight USC taking on Colorado at Folsom in what was a sold-out venue and a game that quite literally lived up to the hype. We did not know what to expect from Colorado coming after that 42-6 to destruction in Austin, but they got back home, they got in front of their home crowd, and they gave USC a game. Now, did it always look like they were going to give USC a game? Absolutely not. Seven minutes left to go in the third quarter. It is 41 to 14. And at this live tailgate earlier today, I was seated next to former USC quarterback Cody Kessler and former Colorado running back Philip Lindsay. And those dudes were a basket of emotions, as was I, because this game was back and forth in the way that, frankly, we kind of thought it might be, but not in the same way. 2016, Oklahoma, Texas Tech would have been the pinnacle of what this could have been. And toward the end of that, Shadour Sanders was trying to do everything he could to try to give us something like a thrilling finish to the game, even as Caleb Williams looked very much in control and very much like a guy who is going to win the Heisman Trophy and perhaps be the first player since Archie Griffin, or just the second player ever, to win the Heisman Trophy twice in the same college football career. 30 of 40 for 403 passing yards, six TDs. It's kind of funny because I was teasing Kessler about what Cody, what Caleb was doing because Kessler threw for seven touchdowns against Colorado in 2014. That remains the record at USC for the most touchdowns thrown in a single game. And by the end of the third quarter, all of us believed, hey, Caleb Williams might get to eight in all of this, but then we get to see Colorado really have some fight in them. And they showed this early on. I want to be clear about that. From the first two series, it was clear that Colorado was not going to get beat down the way that they got beat down against Oregon. We had a ball game in front of us, and as it started to get out of hand, there was this thought about what just needs to happen, right? We needed to see turnovers, and we needed to see the offense take a step forward. We need to see Shadour Sanders find a guy that could catch the football and get yards after the catch as they were not able to run the ball. And that's what happened. But it wasn't Jimmy Horn Jr., and it wasn't Xavier Weaver, and it wasn't Dylan Edwards, and you know what, at times, it wasn't even Michael Harrison. It was a true freshman from Vivian, Louisiana, at North Caddo High School, named Omarion Miller, who came with the goods in the second half, did almost all of his destruction of that USC defense in the second half, seven catches, 196 yards, and a touchdown miraculous touchdown, great throw from Shador Sanders, an even better catch from Omarion Miller, had me thinking, my goodness, where's this guy been all along? And this is one of those great stories, because as much as we missed not getting to see Travis Hunter play against Caleb Williams, against USC, either wide receiver 
or cornerback. As much as we missed Shiloh Sanders being out there to do his trash talk and maybe make a play that forces a turnover that maybe makes this game a little bit tighter, we got to see a guy like Omarion Miller have a moment. Now, we hear often the phrase next man up. I don't necessarily like it because it means that somebody has to go down for you to get a shot. But when they do and you are ready to go, we get to talk about you. So much so that Shadur Sanders in the post game was having to tell people who Omarion Miller was because all of us were going, who is this dude? He's not on any of the transfer lists that we read. We hadn't seen him get real game time in the first four games of the season. And here he is out here making plays in one-on-one. If anything, my criticism of Shadur Sanders had more to do with not getting the ball to that guy earlier and often as he was trying to engineer this comeback. And I'm looking at what he was able to do at the end, 30 of 45, 371 yards, and four TDs with that interception, the second interception of the year. But that also just does not seem like the kind of game that he played all game, right? The first half, he could barely move the football. They could barely complete passes. They were getting pressure to him, but he wasn't going down with sacks, which is a very good statistic for Colorado, I think he gave up one sack against USC, a team that prides itself on tackles for loss as well as turnovers after he was on his back seven times against Oregon. So that's number one. Number two is when he found somebody that could catch the ball and make things happen after the fact, he went back to him and he ended up making this game tighter. Toward the end of the game, we're really talking about a team that was trailing 41-14 being a play away from making this game one that could go into overtime. We had the fourth and five late in the fourth quarter. I didn't like what they had drawn up. You take a sack when you ought to get rid of the football, draw something up, maybe that tight end screen of Michael Harrison, and you try to get that first down. Maybe that changes the game. But USC gives you a gift. You give them the ball back. They charge into the red zone. I'm thinking along with Kessler that you're just going to run the football. You're going to hand the ball to Marshawn Lloyd. Nobody's been able to stop him running the ball all day. No. Either it was a called QB draw because there was a lineman that was really far downfield and didn't get a flag, or Caleb Williams just told, if you don't see anything, hold the ball, take the sack. When I'm going, no, just limit all of this. Get your Heisman Trophy winner out of harm's way and see if Marshawn can't pick up the first down in this game. But not only do you not do that, you set up what looked like an easy field goal, and your kicker misses the field goal, hooks it to the right, right? So you're giving Colorado an opportunity. And what do we see inside of five minutes left to play, but run play after run play after run play, or so it seemed as they were trying to make a two-score game into a one-score game. Now, as we're watching this, the question is, who's calling the plays here? Because surely Sean Lewis knew that you need to strike quicker, and every time you run the football, the clock is moving. Remember, the clock rules are different this year. You do not stop the clock with a first down right? Except inside the last two minutes of the game. But even so, you didn't have time to waste. So in the post game, I got to hear Shadour Sanders said, no, I checked in the run plays because I didn't like the look that we were given. And I said, okay, this is where Shadour Sanders has some growing to do. We were talking about on the live show earlier today, whether or not Shadour Sanders was a first round draft pick. And there were times when you saw that. But the things that are preventing him from reaching that next level where your mind, body, and soul must be one are being able to throw the ball when everybody knows you're going to throw the ball. You have to know you don't have any time to waste. You have to know running the football ain't going to get this done. You can't hand the ball off in winning time. And remember, this is who Shadour Sanders has become for us. He is the guy that you want to have the ball in winning time. Now, you could say two possessions ain't winning time, but how do you get to winning time? You put the ball 
in your best player's hands and you ask him to go cook. Shadour Sanders gave that privilege to a tailback. I want to see Shadour Sanders take ownership of that moment, say, okay, cool, you want to drop eight, I will throw at you. I will complete these passes because we have to have it. Instead, you get there and you don't have any time left. So you have to onside kick and you have to hope that you get the ball back. Probably not going to do it. You want to give yourself some more opportunities to get the defense out there, to get a stop, give you one more shot so you can go to that winning time, right? That was the difference in the game. The time was working against you. And I was saying this with five minutes left to go. You can't just sit on the ball down two scores and you were at home. So you had every reason to go fast because the crowd is not making a mess for you. The picture is the picture. They're playing the defense they're playing. I need you to go out and beat them. But again, nobody thought that Colorado was going to be in this game, especially after what they showed against Oregon. It's 21 and a half. It's a spread at the start of the game. It ends up being 48-41. Colorado more than covers, but shows you that they got a little backbone to them. What I challenged them to do this week was play for the name on the back and not just for the coach prime that is leading you from the front because teams are playing against prime and prime ain't in pads no more. So you need to rise to the challenge. You need to demonstrate that you are here to win football games and you are only going to go as far as your feet, your arms, you carrying the football will take you. I think we're going to see better play from Colorado down the stretch. And I think this team is going to go bowling. That's what I think. I think that they can win six in the regular season and win seven in the bowl game. I even think they could win seven, eight if things go their way, depending on what they show. Because if you are Colorado, you feel outstanding about this, uh, this loss that you took to USC because it kind of feels like, okay, we're building. If you're SC, we have questions for you. We have lots of things to answer. USC fans will tell me, the defense has to be able to stop somebody. They have to put the clamps on people. And I'm going, that's not the defense you run. The defense that Alex Grinch runs is predicated on tackles for loss and turnovers. He doesn't mind giving up yardage. He wants to have changes of possession. So if you beat him over the top, okay, you're going to beat him over the top. But he's going to get home to you, and they're going to jump routes. And they had one. They had a pick in this game. They were able to make a mess of that pocket, and we're still waiting on his offensive line to jail. But is it the kind of defense that can lead you to win a national championship? Not today. Not today. I still think it's one of the four best teams in college football, but that has as much to do with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley as it does the deficiencies that are on that defense. Because if that defense was as good as Georgia, Michigan, or even Texas, we would all feel much comfortable about picking USC, not just to win the Pac-12 or to make the college football playoff, but to win that elusive national championship, which is the last thing that Lincoln Riley has to do in this sport it's also a good opportunity for me to remind you, Caleb Williams has not won a championship of any kind as a starting quarterback. That's important to note. We're talking about the best player in the sport who has not won the Pac-12, Big 12, or played in the playoff, and certainly not a national championship. These are the things they're chasing at SC, so they probably feel much worse about this win than Colorado does about this loss, though nobody likes to lose. Let's go from that outstanding game to a blowout win for the Texas Longhorns over the Kansas Jayhawks. Number three, Texas blows out Kansas 40 to 14. This is a game that felt tight going into this first, uh, excuse me, to the end of the first half. And then coming out, Texas put the throttle down and they were able to do this without Jatavion Sanders, who went into the locker room early with an ankle injury. But I got to see Jonathan Brooks establish himself as RB1. I know Texas fans have been way ahead on this, right? Because it feels like from 
the jump. This is the guy they want to be leading the tailback room. But today, when you go for 217 on the ground against a top 25 Kansas and a stout defense, yes, they're going to lean on that man the rest of the way. And everybody else is just trying to get those spellback carries. You got to see Quinn Ewers really put together a solid game toward the end, padding the stats. But, hey, that's what you do when you're trying to win the Heisman Trophy. And you're undefeated, right? We're talking about the best Texas team we've seen since 2012, right? I think the 5-0 and for the first time in 11 years as they head into the Red River shootout. You wanted to be able to put away a team like Kansas, who is quality, who walks in here without a loss, to demonstrate to the rest of the world, no, we own this number three ranking. We are the favorite to win the Big 12, and we get an opportunity to show that in the Red River shootout. As we're doing this show, Oklahoma, Iowa State has just kicked off, so your boy is feeling all sorts of ways about that Red River shootout already. But Pete Kukowski's defense does not get enough credit for just how good it has become in the last couple of years, right? It used to be, hey, can they get the defense right? And then the defense looked decent last year. And this year, you're giving up 14 points to Kansas. Now, there's no Jalen Daniels in this game, but I'm still all in on what they were able to do, keeping the clamps on that end zone. If you can do that consistently, not just in the Big 12, but in a playoff game, you have an opportunity to do what Texas ain't done since 2005 just win a national championship and maybe make the national title game for the first time since 2009. Texas, I've been saying it for the better part of 10 months. They're dangerous, and I'm terrified of them. But you know what? They get an opportunity to prove it, I think, against an undefeated, I hope, Oklahoma in the Red River shootout in the Cotton Bowl. We'll talk about that one later on during the week. Let's talk about the game that I think shocked many of us. Georgia coming back. Number one, Georgia coming back to beat unranked Auburn 27 to 20. And the game was very much in the balance the whole way. It's funny. After we get done doing our live tailgate here on the Fox lot, go into the conference room to watch the games. And that game with Georgia and Auburn keeps getting my attention, keeps getting our attention. And I'm looking at this going, is Carson Beck the guy? Is, is Georgia good? Is Georgia dominant? What is it about this team that refuses to go out and say we're the number one team in the country. And then Brock Bowers was doing much of nothing. And apparently he heard me in the conference room because, hey, RJ, hold this right quick. I'm going to go for eight catches, 157, and the game-winning TD. How you like me now? Hey, man, look. First, it was, it's a win that Taylor Swift is dating a tight end. And then I was like, huh. So he was the only one winning because you're going to let this go against Auburn. That's what's going to happen. Now, nah, RJ, I'm going to make these one-handed catch, and then I'm going to make this other one-handed catch with each hand because I'm the best tight end in all of football. And frankly, they needed him to be. And that's what's worrisome. Peyton Thorne had an opportunity to drive Auburn down the field to not just tie the game, but to win it, right? Because you go for two if you're the team that's weaker. And Auburn is the team that's weaker. Don't let Georgia get an opportunity to get this game into overtime. Throws a pick to that man, Malachi Starks, dude I've been yelling about for two years because he is that good, and the game is over. But that was the only time where I thought, okay, the Georgia defense knows what they're looking at. You're getting run on by Robbie Ashford. You're getting dealt on by Peyton Thorne. This is a team that was getting absolutely embarrassed by AM at times, right? We don't know what Auburn is, and we haven't. But shout out to my guys at College Football Nerds. Their model had predicted a three-point favorite for Auburn. And they saw some things in the run game. They saw some things in Carson Beck that led them to believe that this team was capable of beating the number one team in the country. Also, wild fact, Auburn was 4-0 against number one teams 
at Jordan Air until today, right? So it's basically the number one teams being Alabama and or LSU somewhere in there. And now we're talking about Georgia getting out there with the skin of his teeth. But this is the third week in a row where we've been like, is Georgia good? And can we expect this team to play in the national title game? Can we expect this team to play in the SEC championship? Because we don't know what Tennessee is. Florida, we got questions about them. We'll talk about, but I'm just not sure that the SEC is all it's cracked up to be in 2023. Yes, I did write that down, and I do got them bars like that. But if you're Auburn, you feel like you let one get away. You also feel like, okay, if we can do this against Georgia, why can't we do this in the rest of the SEC West? That's what Auburn fans have to be thinking. And you know what? Given what LSU Ole Miss does later this afternoon, we'll talk about it on Sunday, given what Texas A&M is, given that Alabama isn't the team that we've expected them to be for the last four years, yeah, Auburn, maybe you can find something, pull out a couple of wins, somebody takes some key losses, and you get another opportunity to play Georgia in the SEC Championship. Very excited to see what happens with that team and, frankly, what happens with Georgia because I just watched number two Michigan throttle Nebraska 45-7. to And it was 45-0 for far too long for me to give Nebraska those seven points as if they went out there and took them. J.J. McCarthy is cooking. Roman Wilson is quietly putting together a Bolitnikoff Award finalist season. They can run the ball with two different dudes. They are deep on that offensive line. They are great defensively. They're just boring to watch. But you know what boring does? Boring wins championships. I'm reminded, 2002 Ohio State was boring. They ran power eye with Maurice Claret, and they played great defense. Won a national championship doing just that. And we've been waiting on the Michigan team that was not just good enough to beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, but the Michigan team that can win a national championship and based on them playing absolutely nobody, but throttling everybody they play, I'm inclined to believe this team is really good. So is it the number one team in the country? Tune in tomorrow. I will let you know when I reveal my top 25 rankings right here on this show. But I got to tell you, Georgia playing the way they've been playing. Michigan playing the way they've been playing. Texas showing what they did against Kansas. SC kind of all over the map here. Penn State throttling Northwestern. Who's good? That's the question that we have to ask because it's wide open through the field here. And we haven't seen this in some time where we could go one through 25 and make a case. One through 10, make a case. Usually we know about three teams that are really good at this time of year. Right now, that could be any one of 10 to 12 teams depending on what you value and why you value it. It's fun. It's fun for me because I get to rank these teams and you get to yell at me for where I put them in the rankings. Uh, spoiler on this, you might be upset about what I do with Colorado, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it on Sunday. All right, from that Michigan game, and that blowout where we only learned that Michigan is great at being Michigan, Kentucky blew out number 22, Florida 33 to 14. All right, so I got to ask, is Kentucky really good? Or is Florida really bad, but only good against Tennessee? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, the SEC, Quagmire. I don't know who's elite in there. Matter of fact, what if it's this, based on this Kentucky result where I get to see Ray Davis carry the ball 26 times for 280 yards, and Kentucky only put up 329 yards rushing, what if the SEC is not only not deep, but not the best college football conference in America for the first time 
in well over 15 years. What if the best college football conference in the country isn't north of the Mason-Dixon line in the Big Ten, where Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are undefeated, Maryland is undefeated, but who do you trust, right? What if the Big 12 ain't the best conference in America, where Texas is undefeated? Oklahoma might be undefeated when we talk again tomorrow. What if the best conference in America is on the West Coast in a conference that is dissolving after this year where you got seven out of 10 teams that are legit contenders to be great, seven out of 10 teams that will probably go bowling and at least half the field that feels like it can win the Pac-12 championship and make the college football playoff. We are living in a world now where if Georgia catches an L, we could foresee one team perhaps getting in from the SEC or no teams getting in from the SEC based entirely on is the Pac-12 good, is the Big 12 good, and is the Big 12 good or Big 10 good. I'm really electric about this. Like, this is firing me up because I said this was going to happen. I've been saying it for years, but it takes years for these things to happen, right? You got to see the cyclical change here because it was one point we used to thumb our nose at the SEC when I was a kid. The SEC, really? That was Florida. And Tennessee, maybe. Nebraska, you don't want no parts of them, right? Florida State, you don't want no parts of them. But now we're talking about a whole bunch of teams that are west of the Mississippi that can play a little football. And we're talking about the teams that are east of the Mississippi that are running into other teams that can bring them down to size. Again, we live in a world where Georgia need to come back to beat Auburn on the road. Now, you can tell me that you think the SEC is tough, and I will tell you that Alabama lost to Texas in Tuscaloosa. You know what I'm saying here? You tell me the SEC is tough, but I will tell you North Carolina beat South Carolina, right? We can keep going down this road, and I, and I will, because this is week five, and we're still playing some football games, but heading into the halfway mark of the season, it really is open to anybody with a winning record, one loss, undefeated, to make the college football playoff, which means this is only going to get better. But you should also know Utah was undefeated, Oregon State, Hey, made sure that they also have the one loss, but Utah did not have Cam Rising. I've been saying that I didn't think it was a top 25 team without Cam Rising. They proved me wrong in that point, but I don't know how to evaluate Utah without Cam Rising because clearly they are deficient at quarterback, and they've been able to overcome that deficiency in four out of five games. But Oregon State brought in a quarterback to overcome the same deficiency they had last year. So by that sort of a math, could you see Oregon State ending up in the Pac-12 championship? Maybe. But how good is Washington State, who's on a bye this week? They're undefeated. How good is Washington? Is that a college football playoff team? Oregon, how good are they? Is that a college football playoff team? USC survived two scares, Arizona State and Colorado. Is that a college football team, uh, playoff team? It's going to be a lot of fun. And we will talk about that and more on the ranking show on Sunday. Again, wildly excited for the Sunday show, wildly excited for the rest of the college football season, wildly excited to join you on this journey. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode of the number one college football show. 
Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Niles Owens is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Ben Higginbotham is our 10th assistant on the field. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet grinding. Deuces.